Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network. In the future, none of you are heroes. You're legends. Get driven. Stay driven. Welcome to the Bareback Facts, everybody. I am your host, as usual, Dallas, Big D, Duclo, and I am bringing you guys a special show today because it is Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, of course, being the day that uh, the famous Jason series is based on and, you know, just a day that spooky things have always been associated with, tracing all the way back to the Roman Empire as a day of execution, but today... There will be no executions, but there will be spooky tales. And today we're going to be talking specifically about one of the most terrifying and harrowing tales in Japanese mythology, the story of the Jikaninki. And yes, that is a mouthful, and I will try not to stumble over this uh, word because it is, uh, it, it, can be, it can be tough. But for those of you unfamiliar with it, the Jikaninki has roots in both Buddhism and Shintoism, and is considered to be one of the most, also one of the most disturbing demons in any mythology anywhere. And you get that here today. So, without further ado, let's get right into it. Let's get right to uh, its origins first off. Uh, those of you unfamiliar with Japanese mythology, uh, the Japanese people have a great number of stories about ghosts uh, and spirits, uh, and these spirits are often referred to as yokai. Uh, yokai are hungry or living ghosts. Uh, these ghosts are a lot different uh, than, um, than our conceptions of ghosts. For us, ghosts are spooky, spectral beings that pass through walls and maybe you know, throw a few things or, you know, haunt buildings and are generally just in, in, in general scary. For the Japanese, ghosts are a lot more terrifying than that. Oftentimes, these ghosts become chickeninky or human-eating ghosts, flesh-eaters. And these ghosts used to be people who were terrible when they were alive and they are not going to rest. They're much more like what we would, what, and they're much more like the stories of vampires from Eastern European, from the Eastern European culture, um, particularly the Slavic people would come up with ideas about what would happen to you if you were a person with unfinished business. You might come back as a vampire and you might plague the living. Well, the Jinkaninki, similar to this, only they're, they're actually much, much worse. Now we get this story in Origins, uh, from 
they and they these these things appear in Japanese Buddhism uh, and get their roots uh, in Shintoism as well. But uh, we get uh, the original sort of telling of the story uh, in Jap- in a Japanese myth uh, about a priest named Musho, Muso Kokushi, a priest of the Zen sect of Buddhism. Uh, it's said that once he was journeying, journeying alone through the province of Mino, and he lost his way in a mountain district where there was nobody to direct him. Now, for a long time, he wandered about helplessly, and he was beginning to despair of finding shelter for the night. When he perceived on the top of a hill, lighted by the last rays of the sun, one of those little hermitages called Su, which are built for solitary priests, or basically hermits. Now, it seemed to be in ruinous condition, but he hastened to it eagerly and found that it was inhabited by an old priest for whom he, from whom he begged the favor of a night's lodging. The old man harshly rejected him and directed him to a certain hamlet in the valley adjoining where lodging and food could be obtained. Now, Musso would find his way to the hamlet, which consisted of less than a dozen farm cottages and was kindly received at the dwelling of the headman or chieftain, you know, the guy that runs the place. Now, 40 or 50 persons were assembled in the principal apartment at the moment of Musso's arrival, but he was shown into a small separate room where he was promptly supplied with food and bedding. Now, being very tired, he laid down to rest at an early hour, but a little before midnight, he was roused from his sleep by the sound of loud weeping in the next room over. Presently sliding the screens, Presently, the sliding screens were gently pushed apart, and a young man carrying a lighted lantern entered the room respectfully, saluting him, and said, Reverend Sir, it is my painful duty to tell you that I am now the responsible head of the house. Yesterday, I was only the eldest son, but when you came here, tired as you were, we did not wish, to, we did not wish that you should feel embarrassed in any way. Therefore, we did not tell you that Father had died only a few hours before, for whom you saw in the next room are the inhabitants of this village. They all assembled here to pay their last respects to the dead, and now they are going to another village about three miles off. For by our custom, no one of us may remain in the village during the night after a death has taken place. We make the proper offerings and prayers, and then we go away, leaving the corpse alone. Because strange things always happen in the house where a corpse has thus been left. So we think that it will be better for you to come away with us. We could find you good lodging in the other village, but perhaps as you are a priest, you have no fear of demons or evil spirits. And if you are not afraid of being left alone with the body, you will be very welcome to the use of this poor house. However, I must warn you that nobody except a priest would dare remain here tonight. Now, in response to this, Musso made an answer. For your kind intention and your generous hospitality, I am deeply grateful. But I am sorry that you did not tell me of your father's death when I arrived. For though I was a little tired, I certainly was not so tired that I should have found difficulty in doing my duty as a priest. Had you told me, I could have performed the service before your departure. As it is, I shall perform the service after you've gone away, and I shall stay by the body until morning. I do not know what you mean by your words about the danger of staying here alone, but I am not afraid of ghosts or demons. Therefore, please feel no anxiety on my account. Now, the young man appeared to be rejoiced by these assurances and expressed his gratitude in fitting words. Then the other members of the family and the folk assembled in the adjoining room, having been told of the priest's kind promises, came to thank him, after which the master of the house 
there. Now, Reverend Sir, much as we regret to leave you alone, we must bid you farewell. For by the rule of our village, none can stay here after midnight. We beg, kind sir, that you will take every care of your honorable body. While we are unable to attend upon you, and if you happen to hear or see anything strange during our absence, please tell us of the matter when we return in the morning. And of course, um, as the story proceeds, you shall see that there will be strange occurrences tonight. All then left the house, except the priest who went to the room where the dead body was lying. Now, as the usual offerings had been set before the corpse in a small Buddhist lamp, a tamyo was burning. The priest recited the service and performed the funeral ceremonies, after which he entered into various meditations. And after so meditating, he remained through several silent hours, and there was no sound in the deserted village. When the hush of the night was at its deepest, there noiselessly, noiselessly entered a shape that was both vague and vast. And in the same moment, Musso moment, found himself without power to move or speak. He saw that shape lift the corpse as with hands devour it more quickly than, than a cat should devour a rat, beginning at the head and eating everything, the hair and the bones and even the death shroud. And the monstrous thing having thus consumed the body, turned to the offerings and ate them also. Then it went away as mysteriously as it had come. And when the villagers returned the next morning, they found the priest awaiting them at the door of the headman's dwelling. All in turn saluted him, and when they had entered and looked about the room, no one experienced of the body and the offerings. But the master of the house said to Masseau, Reverend, sir, you've probably seen unpleasant things during this night. All of us were anxious about you. But now we are very happy to find you alive and unharmed. Gladly, we would have stayed with you if it had been possible. But the law of our village, as I told you in the evening, obliges us to quit our houses after a death has taken place and to leave the corpse alone. Whenever this law has been broken heretofore, some great misfortune has followed. Whenever it is obeyed, we find that the corpse and the offerings disappear during our absence. Perhaps you have seen the cause. Musso then shuddered and told of the dim and awful shape that had entered the death chamber to devour the body and offerings, and no one seemed to be surprised by his narration, and the master of the house observed, what, have you, what you have told us, Reverend Sir, agrees with what has been said about this matter from ancient times. Musso then inquired, does not the priest on the hill sometimes perform the funeral service for your dead? The young man returned to Musso's surprise, saying, What priest? The priest who yesterday evening directed me to this village, answered Musso. I called at his anjitsu on the hill yonder, and he refused me lodging, but told me the way here. The listeners looked at each other as in astonishment, and after a moment of silence, the master of the house said, Reverend sir, there is no priest, nor is there an anjitsu on the hill. For the time of many generations, there has not been any resident priest in this neighborhood. Musso said nothing more on the priest, for it was evident that this kind host supposed him to be deluded by some goblin. But after having bidden them farewell and obtained all necessary information as to his road, he determined to look again for the hermitage on the hill and so to ascertain whether he had been really deceived he found it without any difficulty, and this time its aged occupant invited him to enter. When he had done so, the hermit humbly bowed before him, exclaiming, I am ashamed, I am incredibly ashamed. 
You need not be ashamed for having refused me, for having refused me shelter, Musso says. You directed me to the village yonder when I was very kindly treated, and I thank you for that favor. The recluse then made answer to Musso, stating, I can give no man shelter, and it is not for the refusal that I am ashamed. I am ashamed only that that you should have seen me in my real shape. For it was I who devoured the corpse in the offerings last night before your very eyes. No, reverend sir, that I am a jikaninki, an eater of human flesh. Have pity upon me and suffer me to confess the secret fault by which I have become reduced to this condition. For once a long time ago, I was a priest in this desolate region, and there were no other priests for many leagues around. So in that time, the bodies of the mountain folk who died used to be brought here, and sometimes from great distances, in order that I might repeat over them the holy service. <clears throat> but I repeated the service and performed the rites only as a matter of business. I thought only of the food and the clothes that my sacred profession, profession enabled me to gain. And because of this selfish impiety, I was reborn immediately after my death into the state of a chickeninky. Since then, I've been obliged to feed upon the corpses of those who die in this district. And every one of them I must devour in the way that you saw last night. Now, reverend sir, let me beseech you to perform a sagaki service for me. Help me. By your prayers, I entreat you so that I may soon be able to escape from this horrible state of existence. No sooner had the hermit uttered this petition than he disappeared, and also the hermitage disappeared in the same instant. And Muso Kokushi found himself kneeling alone in the high grass beside an ancient and moss-grown tomb of the form called Gorin Ishi, which seemed to be the tomb of a priest. Now this is one of the earliest uh, accounts we have, and it comes out of a Shintoist tale, and nonetheless, Chikaninki have been associated um, with Buddhism as well. So what can we gain from this tale? Well, it is clear that the Chikaninki is a curse based upon those wicked souls who in life were greedy. Now, in Japanese Buddhism and today, the Jikaninki eating ghost. It's got a different pronunciation. In German, it's called the Shoku Jinki. Uh, in more modern Japanese, hopefully I didn't butcher that for any Japanese speakers. If I did, feel free to charge me up on social media. I'm good with it. Um, <clears throat> they're also related in part to Western tales of the Wendigo, although it's important to note uh, that the Jikaninki is, is entirely something else. Um, But they are the spirits of greedy, selfish, or impious individuals who are cursed after death to seek out and eat human corpses. They do this under cover of night, scavenging for newly dead bodies and food offerings left for the dead. They sometimes also loot the corpses they eat for valuables, which they use to bribe local officials to leave them in peace. Excuse me. Nevertheless, Jikaninki lament their condition and hate their repugnant cravings for dead human flesh. All cadavers, perhaps with a few inhuman features such as deep, such as sharp claws or deep, sunken in glowing eyes. They are a horrifying sight to behold, and any mortal who views one finds himself or herself frozen in fear. However, 
However, stories tend to give them the ability to magically disguise themselves as normal human beings and even to live normal lives by the light of day. Now, the Jikaninki. are considered preta of the 26th class in Japanese Buddhism. And preta is a reference to um, Hindu, uh, to uh, a being that exists within Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, and parts of Chinese and Vietnamese folk religions. Preta are believed to have been false, corrupted, compulsive, deceitful, jealous, or greedy people in a previous life. And as a result of their karma, they're afflicted. <coughs> Excuse me. They're, they're, they're afflicted with an insatiable hunger for a particular substance or object. Traditionally, uh, these, in, these preta are, tend to be cursed to do something particularly repugnant or humiliating, such as devouring cadavers, or feces, though in recent stories it can be anything, however bizarre. Literally from Praita, literally meaning gone, forth, and departed. Now in classical, uh, more classical terms, the term refers to the spirit of any dead person, but especially before the uh, rites of passage are performed, but also more narrowly to a ghost or evil being. Uh, the term has been taken up in Buddhism to describe one of six possible states of rebirth. Uh, the Chinese have a different term for it. It's igua uh, or agui, uh, literally starving ghost, and it's thus not a literal translation of the Sanskrit term itself. Important also to note that most prada are, or praida are invisible to the human eye, but some believe they can be discerned by humans uh, who are in certain mental states. They are described as human-like with sunken, mummified skin, narrow limbs, enormously distended bellies, long, thick necks. This appearance is a metaphor for their mental situation, as they have enormous appetites signified by their uh, rather distended and large bellies, but also a very limited ability to satisfy those appetites symbolized by their slender necks. Praetors are from the uh, Hyene period as emaciated human beings with bulging stomachs and inhumanely small mouths and throats. They are frequently shown licking up spilled water in temples or accompanied by demons representing their personal agony. Otherwise, they may be shown as balls of smoke or fire. Uh, Praetors well in the waste and desert places of the earth and vary in situation according to their past karma. Some of them can eat a little, but find it very difficult to find food or drink. Others can find food or drink, but find it very difficult to swallow said food and drink. Others find that the food they eat seems to burst into flames as they swallow it, while uh, some prey to <clears throat> see something edible or drinkable and desire it, but it withers or dries up before their eyes. As a result, they remain always hungry. In addition to hunger, praetors suffer from immoderate heat or cold, and they find that even the moon scorches them in summer while the sun will freeze them in the winter time. The sufferings of the predator often resemble those of the dwellers in hell, and the two types of beings are easily confused. The simplest distinction is that beings in hell are confined to their, their prison, whilst predators are free to move about but still suffer eternally. Uh, now, the predators are seen... 
uh, is little more than nuisances to most mortals, unless their long, longing is directed towards something vital, such as blood or flesh. Predators try to prevent others from satisfying their own desires by means of magic, illusion, or disguises, and they can turn invisible or change their faces to frighten mortals. However, generally, predators are seen as beings to be pitied. Thus, in some Buddhist monasteries, monks leave offerings of food or money or flowers to them before every meal. In Japan, uh, predators are most often referred to as gaki, uh, which is hungry ghost. Uh, and even in Japanese culture, uh, since uh, around the year 657, some Japanese Buddhists have even observed this small, a special day in mid-August to remember the gaki, such, through such offerings and remembrances. Uh, one one uh, service that they provide is Segaki, which is a uh, service they provide for spirits that are passing on to the next world. Uh, it's a funeral rite. Uh, it is believed that by performing this, uh, the hungry ghost may be released from its torment. Uh, the Japanese, in the Japanese language, the word gaki is often used to mean spoiled child or brat. Uh, and in a game of tag, the person who is it may be known as the gaki. Uh, now, in Hinduism uh, and in Buddhism, important to note, uh, Pratas are very real. They are a form, a body consisting of only air uh, <clears throat> and akasha, or you know, sky, dark matter, space. Two of the five elements which constitutes a body on Earth or any other planet, air, water, dark matter, space, fire, and Earth, whatever. They are the forms as per the karma or actions of previous lives where a soul takes birth in bodies resembling human forms or forms of the main intelligent entity in a planet but with a unique difference, that is the absence of one to three elements. Now, in Hinduism, an atma, or soul, is bound to take rebirth after death in a body uh, composed of five or more elements, and the soul in transient mode is pure and its existence is comparable to that of a deva, or divine being, and in the last form of physical birth. Uh, the elements except akasha, or, or dark matter, is defined as, as the common constituent throughout the universe, and the remaining four are common to the properties of the planets or stars or places of birth. This is the reason Pratas cannot eat or drink as the rest of the elements, earth, fire, and water, are missing. Hence, no digestion or physical intake is possible for them. Uh, now, in Thailand and in Japan, uh, Preta are hungry ghosts of the Buddhist tradition that have become part of the folklore but are described as being abnormally tall, at least in the Thai tradition. Uh, so uh, this is a story that's kind of kind of really taken on a life of its own, and it exists in all these different, these various cultures. Now, <clears throat> I want to get more into the specifics of what a Jikaninki does and how one becomes a Jikaninki. You know, I mentioned it briefly that you, you know, if you're greedy or impious, do bad things while you're alive, you could become a Jikaninki. But there is a little bit more complexity to becoming a Jikaninki than that. So I want to get into the details of that a little bit further. But before I do, uh, I'm going to take a commercial break because got to make people. We got to make we got to make people happy. Uh, and plus, you guys got to have a break from me. Um, I know my beautiful voice is is enchanting, and 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 you guys want to hear it, but. We gotta take a break. Uh, so before we take a break, it's always important that I remind you guys 
to keep a close eye on one of our newest proud new sponsor of Totally Driven Entertainment. He's funny, he's wacky, he's crazy, and he's totally driven. Check out comedian Chris Fraley at chrisfraleypresents.com. He's always got some very humorous sketches, so you're going to want to check that out um, when you have the time. But I will see you guys all. I will be back very shortly. See you guys in just a few minutes. I'm Black Man, saving man's eyes, one stereotype at a time. To the Black Mobile. To the corner of Martin Luther King Street and Malcolm X Boulevard, pronto. Will Black Man make it to the crime on time? Or will he be on CPT? Stay tuned at ChrisFraleyPresents.com. Attention business owners, website owners, event promoters, or anyone looking to promote your product. The Totally Driven Entertainment Radio Network is the perfect way to spread the word of your business around the world. That's right. You can advertise at our network and be played on all of our shows at rates that are so cheap. It's a no-brainer. For more information, contact Bay Ragney at bayragney at gmail.com. To keep your business driven, stay driven with Totally Driven Entertainment. Are you a fan of Sherlock Holmes? Letters from Holmes offers unique, one-of-a-kind letters from the world-famous detective himself. Handwritten on 8.5-inch by 11-inch aged parchment paper and using smudge-free ink to produce original, high-quality letters that fans will treasure for years to come. Each letter is handcrafted and written from the perspective of Sherlock Holmes, mimicking Holmes's native tongue and embracing many of the famous detective's quirks, quips, insults and peculiarities. Order a love letter, birthday greeting, personal correspondence, or more only at www.etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash letters from homes. For $5 today, you can buy a wealth of things. Gas for your car, rent a movie for the family, a few slices of pizza. $5 still takes you a long ways. But did you know that $5 can buy your child a bag of heroin in the streets? That's right. For only $5, your son or daughter can buy some of the cheapest and purest dope in the country. Be aware of the lies. Be aware of the stealing. Be aware that's all it takes to kill your child. $5. This message was brought to you by Casey's Cause, a group of parents located in southern Chester County out to save your child's life. Come join us today at www.caseyscause.com. And remember, $5 is all it takes. Casey's Cause, www.caseyscause.com. Looking for that perfect gift for your girlfriend? Then look no further than Teddy Scares. Teddy Scares are available in a variety of styles, sizes, and prices for all your shopping needs. Teddy Scares are a mix of cute and creepy to make a great gift for almost any age. Board up your windows, lock your doors, and log on to teddyscares.com. And be sure to become our friends at facebook.com slash teddyscares. Calling all comic book fans. Do you collect comics? Did you ever collect comics? Do you think your children might like reading comic books? Do you even know they still print real, paper, non-digital comic books? Well, then visit the Pirates of Ontario Street Comics in Philadelphia. We have a massive collection of comic books, action figures, trading cards, and much more. We have one of the largest stocks of back-issue comics in the area. We bag and board every new comic book at no extra charge. Our store is voted the best comic book shop in the 2013 PHL 17 Hot List Contest. Part of the movie Unbreakable is filmed in our store. We are open seven days a week. Ontario Street Comics is located at 2235 
East Ontario Street in the Port Richmond section of Philly. Our phone number is 215-288-7338. Type in the words Ontario Comics Philadelphia to check out our Wacky Stories page on Facebook. All right, everybody, and we are back. And, of course, you guys have been listening. You've been listening to me talk about the Jikaminki, the hungry spirit from Japanese folklore. But I've talked a little bit about, you know, the origins of the story and, and, and one of the more famous tales of this, of, of this particular being. But we didn't really get into the specifics of where this thing uh, is, is really, really at its worst. Now, for those of you who are familiar with my show, you know that I've covered a lot of monsters, a lot of different things from from various cultures, uh, in particular the goose, the ghosts and ghoulies uh, that plague the living. Um, you know, there's just so many stories about monsters that, you know, prey on, on people and are after everybody. And one of the things that's particularly terrifying about this tale is that uh, this can affl- this this curse can afflict anyone. When we when we look at a story like this, you know, it it differs a great deal from what you see with with tales about you know vampires or werewolves uh, or or even some of the more you know cursory uh, you know zombies even. This this story is particularly terrifying because, you know, in order to become a werewolf, you have to kind of get bit by a werewolf, right? You, you know, or you have to have a witch curse you. To become a vampire, you have to have you know this unfinished business, or you know get bit by a vampire. You have to be you know particularly greedy or uh, or just a really you know awful, unbearable person, uh, depending on the folklore that you're looking at. But with the Jikaninki, it's so easy. Become a Jikaninki that it is just absolutely terrifying. Uh, it's a terrifying concept. Some of the ways in which one can become a Jikaninki. Now, I mentioned before that a person who is greedy uh, or impious can become a Jikaninki. So, what? How do we define when a person is overly greedy or impious? Well, when we look at uh, greed within Japanese uh, within Japanese folklore, anybody who is unappreciative of what they have. Yeah, this is going to hit home for some people. Anybody that is not appreciative of what they have in life uh, runs the risk of becoming a Jikaninki when they die. Uh, even worse than that are people that seek and covet what other people want, what other people have, uh, people that have a desire for what other people have and try to get those things uh, by underhanded means, oftentimes when they die, become Jikaninki. But even... But, uh, you know, greed can go even a step further. Those people who uh, gorge themselves, you know, they eat incredibly unhealthy. Uh, they, don't, uh, they don't appreciate their meals. They just greedily devour them. will also run the risk of becoming jikaninki. And then let's get into the impiety because this is a, a even, it's, it's even more tricky, uh, I think, than the greed. Impiety, in, in, at least in this case, can be... Simply a lack of courtesy, not greeting somebody, uh, can you know, not being polite, not uh, not upholding the social standards 
uh, as far as courtesy goes, can be considered to be impious uh, within Japanese culture. Uh, you know, not ad- not adhering strictly to traditions uh, and traditional prayers, traditional meditations. You know, missing a day at at the temple. Uh, not 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 being willing to do you know give offerings. These things become an ajikaninki, uh, which is particularly terrifying because if you think about it, uh, think about yourself as being, you know, a common person, you know, who has access to very little uh, in the way of uh, personal wealth. You are still expected to provide some form of offering uh, to these temples, to these Buddhist temples, to these monasteries. You are still required to provide some form. Of offering, and if you don't have that offering, you could be considered impious and improper. Um, this opens the door for you at death in death to become a jikaninki, which is horrifying. Uh, because you know we got into the jikaninki uh, story of you know the priest who witnessed uh, this this cursed hermit devouring someone's corpse, but uh, the jikaninki story can be a lot worse than simply eating corpses. And the funeral offering. In some variations of the tale, we have the Jinkaninki actually uh, breaking into its own house and devouring its entire family. Uh, so a person uh, who becomes a Jinkaninki could often be cursed to plague their own community. Uh, we, this is very com- this is very comparable uh, to the stories we had about vampires. I love to I love to draw comparisons between folklore. Because there are so many parallels and similarities that can be drawn. There are there are differences, of course. I mean, the Jikaninki, of course, being uh, very supernatural uh, in, a, in in a different sort of way than a vampire. In that, uh, a vampire is simply is essentially a living corpse. Uh, it's a corpse that reanimates itself and prowls around at night uh, and and devours people's blood and sometimes their flesh, but most of the time it's just blood. But a Jikaninki. It's a little bit. It's a little bit more of a gray area because the Jikaninki is not really a physical being so much as it is a spiritual being. So it is a spiritual being that is seeking a physical form, and that makes it a little bit more terrifying, in my opinion, because this is a being that can literally slip through walls, come into your room, and then bodily pick you up and start eating you. Uh, so again, I mean, its name is in reference to. Uh, the Gaki, which is a hungry ghost, a ghost that is hungry for something in particular. And the Jikaninki is hungry for flesh. It's specifically hungry for human flesh, which makes it really, really scary because not only can it simply pass through walls and, and it doesn't possess a physical form of its own, but its greed and its insatiable hunger drives it to seek out those with their own physical forms and bodily devour them. So because this this spirit literally uh, bodies people, just runs into their house, runs up in their pad, and devours them. Uh, you know, bones, hair, funeral shroud. Uh, you can you can just be sleeping in your bed, and a jinkaniki can roll up on you, pick you up, roll you into a burrito, and eat you. That's pretty horrifying, uh, if I do say so myself. Uh, you know. This is one of the reasons why the Jikaniki is considered to be so uh, horrifying in Japanese culture is because uh, people can easily fall into the pitfalls of, of you know, uh, being ungrateful for something or, or you know, not fulfilling duty uh, 
these pit, these social pitfalls are so easy to fall into, uh, and you don't want to become a jikaninki, but all the ways in which you can become one are easy pitfalls uh, to slip it, slip up and become one. And that's one of the other things that really makes this thing so terrifying is you really don't want to be one of these things. So this forces you to really uh, forge ahead and really adhere to the social strictures that you're supposed to adhere to. <clears throat> this encourages you to do that because, again, if you slip up, there's always a chance when you die you're going to become one of these things. Kaninki is that it is actively seeking out bodies to eat. And in the most, most stories, the Jikaninki devours corpses, which in and of itself is also quite terrifying. Because when you think about it, uh, and, in, and this is not just in Japanese culture, but this is in cultures across the world. Even in our society, desecration of a corpse is considered to be really abhorrent. We don't do that. When somebody's dead, you're supposed to be respectful of them. You're not supposed to do any harm to their body. Their body is, is, is meant to... Uh, we're meant to observe these funeral rites, and it doesn't matter what tradition you are. Everybody's got their own tradition. But one thing uh, most traditions could pretty much all agree on is you don't desecrate a corpse. You just don't do that. You stay. You don't eat bod- dead bodies, and you don't desecrate corpses. These are just big, two big no-nos. These are taboo. We don't do them. Uh, and in our culture, in the Japanese culture, uh, and our culture, you know, more Western societies as well, uh, if you want to call them that, whatever. Uh, but in many parts of the world, person is is off limits. You don't do things to it. And that's one of the things that makes the Jikaninki sort of a very perverse uh, story in a way because it really does tap into that real taboo of, uh, okay, so this person died, this recently dead person uh, the, the family is grieving for them, and and they they're going to miss them, of course. But also now, and and you've already, and of course you've already got to think about uh, the threats of decomposition and the threats of you know uh, pests of various forms potentially, you know, getting after the body of a person, depending on the manner in which you uh, dispose of, you know, of a person's corpse. You know, some people bury them, some people cremate them, and obviously that alleviates the problem of pests such as, you know, rodents and bugs and all that stuff. But these are already concerns people have. There is already a concern that people have for the dead body of their relative. They, you know, we go to great lengths to preserve them, to make sure that they get to the afterlife in one piece, so to speak. And the Jikaninki is a slap in the face to all those traditions. Because it is not going to allow that person to rest in peace. It is not going to allow that person to make it to the grave all in one piece. It's going to eat their whole body so that it doesn't make it. Uh, and in some cultures, um, you know, your body, it's not just the vessel for your soul. Uh, depending on your beliefs, some people believe you take that body uh, to the next world. Uh, or to your next plane of existence. Now, obviously, uh, within Hinduism, uh, within various forms of Buddhism and Hinduism, that's sort of less of an issue because you've got the issue of reincarnation as a possibility. So you may be reincarnated in a different body, and thus this makes your body, uh, you know, less important in that way. Also, a denial of closure that the Jikaninki represents, and it's devouring of a corpse. This is a denial 
of closure for the family because it's very, you know, knowing someone is, you know, hearing somebody is dead is a lot different than seeing someone who is dead. And if you look at the stories about the Jinkaniki, it often arrives during the time in which a person is preparing a body for burial, which means this thing could potentially sneak in where your body is being prepared for the funeral and eat your body. And then your family is stuck with you know no little to no closure. That's one of the things that makes the chicken and geese so terrifying. Is it is the deni- it is a denier of closure. It will not allow families to you know pass uh, you know say goodbye to their family member um, before you know in those last funeral rites because you're doing funeral rites over an empty casket because this thing snuck in there and ate your relative. Um, the other thing that's particularly terrifying about the Jikaninki is that it often targets its relatives. It sneaks into the, its relatives' houses, into their house after they die, and it eats their relatives like a boogeyman or even like a vampire. But this makes the Jikaninki even more of a threat. But once it runs out of family members, it branches out into its community and eats the closest friend and then so on and so forth until it eats everybody. So thus the Jikaninki is a huge, huge potential threat to a community. Because if you're a Jikaninki, well, what are you going to do? You're going to eat bodies. You're going to eat people. You're going to start with dead people, and when you run out of dead people, living people. <coughs> Excuse me. This is one of the things that Japanese people are particularly terrified of is that the main concern with the Jikaninki is not that it's just going to eat all the dead bodies up. It's not that the Jikaninki is even going to deny you closure. That's really terrible. Yeah, that's pretty awful. But it's what happens when there isn't any dead bodies around for the Jikaninki to devour. Uh, Well, what happens when there's nothing for the Jikaninki to eat? Well, it's going to go on to the next best thing. It's going to eat living people. Uh, and this is where the story of the Jikaninki gets particularly dark, because the first thing that a Jikaninki is said to do when there aren't corpses available for it to eat is in order to sustain its spiritual presence on this plane, it has to continuously try to feed. The Jikaninki is a hungry spirit, and in order for it to maintain itself, it will never be satisfied. The Jikaninki is cursed to never be satisfied, but it's also cursed to continually seek out satisfaction. So if there isn't anything to seek out as far as satisfaction goes, that should be end of story, right? Should just go on to the other side. We should be good to go. Oh, another beauty. You got to go. Not the Jikaninki. If there isn't anything immediate for the Jikaninki to eat, it simply adapts. It finds, It just decides, you know what? Dead people are all fine and dandy. Let's just eat the living people. That's fine. Uh, so the Jikaninki will, of course uh, – I said they are, they they tend to target people that they know uh, they knew when they were alive, but even worse than that is uh, the Jikaninki are said to prey on the weakest people that they knew when they were alive first, thus making thus when a person dies, it's imperative that they get the proper funeral rites uh, and that they're laid to rest properly with a sagaki service, uh, particularly if people know that they were kind of greedy or they were. You know, real jerk when they're alive. People are very quick to do these funeral rites because uh, the proper funeral rites can prevent a Jikaninki from coming back. 
the, that's what the Sagaki service is for. It's appease these hungry spirits and keep them away. That's also meant to make sure that a hungry spirit isn't born, that a Jinkaninki never comes to pass, uh, that it doesn't come about at all. And that's the real goal, making sure that you don't become a Jinkaninki, and then when a person perhaps, you know, once a person dies, doing everything you can to prevent their eventual rise from the grave so they can't devour you and your friends. Uh, bringing, bringing the importance of a funeral service to a whole new level. So kudos to the Jinkaninki for uh, making it making it more important to go to the funeral because um, within Japanese culture, there is a firm belief uh, that, that funeral services must be conducted and these funeral service services uh, must be conducted to the letter. Your relatives have to be there to say goodbye to you. This is very important within within, within uh, this cult, within these cultures. Being there to say goodbye to the relative is very important. You do not want to open the door for a spirit to say, well, you know, I've got unfinished business. Bob, my cousin Bob didn't say goodbye to me, so I'm coming back. Uh, one of the big fears is that, uh, okay, if somebody misses the funeral, uh, this spirit is not going to be able to rest. It's a particularly greedy person when they were alive or a person who was, uh, you know, you know, rather uh, impious or impure during their, their during their years of life, uh, it's even more imperative for you to come. So if it, the Jinkaninki makes you go to that jerk friend of yours funeral, whether you want to go or not, because even though he may have been a jerk when he was alive, you're going to that funeral. That's inspiring me. It, it just gives me hope, gives me hope that there will be people at my funeral now because – they don't want me to come back as one of these things, right? Uh, you know, so don't worry. <laughs> That's why I'm kind. Of, this makes me kind of jealous of you know, sort of the Japanese culture because you can be a complete jerk, but people are so terrified that they're going to get a jikaninki that they're going to your funeral. They're like, nope, that's it. Even if, even though that guy was a complete jerk while he was alive, I'm going to his funeral. I don't want that guy coming back and eating his way through my family tree. No, thank you. So. Uh, the story of the Jikaninki, you know, humor aside, uh, it, it, it's, it makes it very important, makes those funeral services uh, very important because you want to make sure that the spirit gets its rest. It's not simply, oh, ha, we don't want there to be a Jikaninki demon running around. No, it's we, we want this person to pass on to the other side. We want their business here in the land of living to be done, concluded and over with. It's time for you to go and stay away. Uh, in addition to that, people that are cursed as Jikaninki are said to remain on this plane for time immemorial. They are here until somebody can release them from their curse. And the only way to release a Jikaninki from its curse is to give it a Sagaki service, is to give it those last rites and to give it that closure that it needs to go on to the other side, which is why Muso Kokushi uh, gives the priest, the, the demonic priest that he encounters, the Sagaki. Because no one gave it to him while he was alive because he was a terrible person and nobody liked him. Uh, nobody gave the hermit uh, the Sagaki. They, they dishonored him by not, and his spirit was so angry about being dishonored that it couldn't rest. In addition, uh, his greed while he was alive made it uh, difficult for his spirit to pass on to the other side. So this makes 
this really does reemphasize the importance of of respect for the dead, the importance of a reverence towards the dead, and the importance of performing the last rites for a person, making sure <coughs> excuse me guys, I'm sorry today. Um struggling with that today. Uh this making sure that a person is in fact going to pass on to the other side gets the you know gets all the closure that they need but it's also uh very encouraging as well that the chickeninky uh does do something that is rather encouraging and that is inspire people to go seek that closure for themselves as well you know a chickeninky could come back and you know start tearing its way through all of the corpses and tearing its way through its family tree uh that that's uh, particularly important about this story uh it reemphasizes the importance of gaining closure from those that we lose. You know, oftentimes people lose relatives and they, you know, they completely clam up. They don't want anything to do uh, with the process of saying goodbye because it is hard to say goodbye, right? It's, it's hard to say goodbye to those that we love uh, when it's time for them to go and we don't want them to go. But that selfishness and that greed uh, on our part could inspire these spirits to come back from the other side. And in Japanese culture, uh, it's not just the greed of the Jikaninki that can inspire it to, that can make a person's soul become a Jikaninki. It's the greed of those people alive, unable to let go of their relative and let them pass on, unable to allow, who, who refuse to give the Jikaninki, uh, the person in question there, the closure that they need to pass on, that final goodbye that release uh, from their family can also be a huge problem. Inspired by greed, they're inspired by hunger and desire. And people not wanting you to pass on to the other side could keep you here. This could be considered unfinished business. And what you don't want if you've died is to stay here. You're Depending on, you know, within Japanese culture, of course, you have uh, Buddhism and you have Shintoism, but uh, and and Buddhism, of course, being heavily influenced by Hinduism, which has a cycle of rebirth, the samsara cycle, or the reincarnation cycle. Once you die, you want to move on to the next stage, and the next stage is being reincarnated into another form. You don't want that next form to be a spirit trapped between this world and the next world being forced to sustain your existence by devouring people's bodies, devouring dead bodies and devouring people. You don't want that to be your future. You want to be able to move on to the next stage and and be reincarnated to your next life. Or if you can completely break the cycle of reincarnation and free yourself from it and achieve your outline or achieve enlightenment in the case of Buddhism, you don't want, to be stuck in this cycle of reincarnation. But the Jinkaniki represents a a person that is not in the cycle of reincarnation anymore. They are a person that is trapped between this world and the next world, and they can't pass on until their curse is lifted. They are stuck here. So they are perpe- they are perpetually stuck in a realm of existence and non-existence, in an ethereal plane in which they can only influence uh, things by devout, they can only exist as long as, as they have this desire to sustain themselves. And this desire forces them to constantly seek out the flesh 
of the living and of the dead. And because of this, they're trapped between our world and the world of the spirits. They're right in between. So they can't cross all the way over to the realm of the spirits, and they can't cross all the way over into our realm. Now, I know you would say, well, if they're picking up human corpses and eating them, haven't they crossed over? No, because they don't possess a physical form. They're technically not here. That's what makes the Jitkaninki so unique is that it is technically not on our plane of existence because it possesses no physical – no real physical form. So because of this, it's really te- – it's both here and not here at the same time. Parts of it are in the spirit realm, and parts of it are here. So because it's split between two realms of existence, it's stuck essentially in this in this limbo between worlds. Kind of like – it's kind of like the Matrix uh, in a way. Uh, the scene – and this really brings it up bring, – brings it kind of home for me is the scene where Neo – uh, for those of you familiar with the Matrix scene, you know that the main character's name is Neo, uh, and he gets stuck in this train station where he is both in the Matrix but not in the Matrix. So he is trapped. His mind is trapped in this prison uh, where he can't advance through the Matrix, this realm of existence that he is that his mind is trapped in, but he also can't advance in the physical world. He can't go anywhere. So he's essentially in a, a, a coma, a mental coma, while a Jitkaninki is stuck in a spiritual coma. It can't get anywhere. It, so it must sustain, and it has to. And the worst part is, the worst part about this is, that not only can it not break out of its coma without help, it can't. It can't go in either direction, and it can't just break out into the, the, the physical plane and just be here. But it can't break into the spiritual plane. And go through its cycles of reincarnation and find its eventual enlightenment in this spiritual coma. It's going nowhere. It's trapped outside the cycle of reincarnation, but it's also trapped outside of our realm of existence. It's essentially purgatory, but the worst kind of purgatory you can possibly imagine. It's a purgatory that forces you to devour the people that you once knew to devour corpses and eventually in some cases devour the people you knew while you were alive. Uh, you know, important to note also that the Jikaninki people can become Jikaninki in various ways. I mentioned this, but people could also become Jikaninki by being cursed by other people, which is also kind of terrifying. Uh, uh, in Japanese culture, you're not supposed to. Uh, you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to be dishonest. You're not supposed to be uh, underhanded in any way, shape, or form. You're supposed to be honest and trust. You know, trustworthy. You're supposed to conduct yourself at a high standard. Uh, there are certain forms of social etiquette you've got to adhere to, and one of those things is being, uh, you know, forthright and and being uh, fair-handed in your dealings. And people who feel like they've been cheated in dealings might curse you. As a Jinkaninki, so it's important. So this, so this story of the Jinkaninki uh, encourage, encourages us to adhere to a few uh, important important uh, societal uh, strictures that we're going to get into right now. Uh, so we've talked about the story of the Jinkaninki. We've talked about the ways in which you could become a Jinkaninki, and we've talked about why it's so scary to be a Jinkaninki and and this unique place that Jinkaninki are trapped in. Now let's talk about uh, the avoidance. How do we avoid becoming a Jinkaninki? How do we avoid 
the wrath of these spirits. Well, one of the first things we have to remember is we visit, we must revisit uh, one of the major themes behind the Jikaninki, which is greed. Um, in you know, in one of the major ways in which you can avoid becoming a Jikaninki is be grateful, be grateful for what you've got. Um, that doesn't mean you have to not be uh, ambitious and and go after the things you want in life, uh, but it does mean that you know you're not supposed to, you, you shouldn't covet what everybody else has got. You should uh, appreciate what you have uh, and, and not go out of your way. To, you want to appreciate the things that you've got and not go out of your way to try and take more uh, than, than you deserve. Don't, you know, don't go out and gorge yourself all the time. Don't go out and uh, try and get what everybody else has. That's step one. So, you know, control yourself. Exercise some semblance of self-control. Uh, the next next major way that we can avoid being jikaninki is make peace with the people around us. You know, f- find that closure with those people uh, who you've got dealings with. Don't leave anything behind uh, that you regret. Uh, so live your life in a way that doesn't inspire. That doesn't. Uh, fill you with regrets you don't want to you don't want to go through life and uh, and leave behind questions that's a major that's one of the major things you don't want to do you don't want to leave a whole bunch of unfinished business so be so be willing to uh, close close the curtain on certain aspects of your life. When it's time to close the curtain, close the curtain. When the show's over, end the show. Um, You know, be in good standing with the people around you. Be in good standing with the people around you. Cultivate good relationships. This is one of the major facets of the Jikaninki. It cultivates unhealthy relationships and and doesn't and isn't willing to break off these relationships when it's time. So cultivate healthy relationships and know that when it's time for it to be over, it's over. And let go of those things. Let go of the things in life that hurt you. Uh, and lastly, lastly, be fair with the people that you're dealing with. Be honest. Be trustworthy. And conduct yourself honorably. These things will guide you on the path to preventing yourself from becoming a jikaninki. Um, so these are the ways in which a person can avoid becoming a jikaninki. So if you don't want to come back and devour all your relatives, just be a good person. Don't be a piece of human garbage. If you're a piece of human garbage, good chance you could come back as one of these things. And while it does sound cool to some people, it's probably not going to be a good time. And people are certainly not going to appreciate it when you're breaking into funeral homes uh, and and eating dead bodies. They're not going to appreciate that one bit. And I can tell you this, your your relatives are probably not going to appreciate it if you sneak into their room in the middle of the night and start eating them from the feet up. They're not going to appreciate that at all. And if your mom's anything like my mom, if you try to, you know, mess up, you know, ruffle their feathers and, and mess up their hair, they're going to be pretty mad. I, you know, 
You know, they said that, you know, in these stories, the Jikaninki even eats the hair. Uh, that's, you know, eats the person head first or feet first. Depends on where they get them from. But tend to pick them up and start eating them from the head first. If you've ever messed up a woman's hair, you know that's a big no-no. Uh, so you don't want to come back and mess up people's hair. They're going to be very upset with you. Uh, but jokes aside, I hope you guys have enjoyed today. hope you guys have enjoyed the show. I'll give you guys some things that you can look at. Uh, one of the things you'll want to take a look at is a book uh, written by Lacadio Hearn. It's called Jikaninki. Uh It's pretty pretty short. Uh, it's basically sort of a tale that I read to you guys. But you can also read um, Quite On uh, Stories and Studies of Strange Things uh, by uh, Lacadio Hearn as well. You can read uh, Chicken Inky uh, by Kate, Katie Ann. Uh, I'll reimagine any of that. And lastly, oh, if you're interested uh, in yokai, which have been huge uh, in Japanese culture, uh, they've actually you know made shows and manga and all kinds of stuff. Involving yokai uh, You can take a look at the book of yokai Mysterious Creatures of Japanese Folklore By Michael Foster uh, Who does a great Job of talking about the monsters And ghosts uh, within Japanese folklore And how they relate to uh, you know, pop- And how they've become so Popularized uh, Yokai have become so popular in Japan I mean there's little I mean, There used to be such a, a, a cause for concern and fear Within Japanese culture Now they're sort of uh, I mean, I mean, they're almost like the Pokemon of Japanese culture right now, more than Pokemon are. Uh, so it's it's interesting. It's an interesting uh, way of viewing viewing things. But the yokai have gone from being sort of really terrifying figures to almost cutesy little, you know. Oh look, I got my kid a yokai backpack. Uh, you know, so the ancestors of you know people in Japan would have been like, uh, what are you doing? But you know, it's funny how we in our you know, from our culture, and they sort of change over time. It's just a fascinating study of how uh, people's interpretation of these spirits have sort of changed over a long period of time. But that's all I've got for you guys today. Of course, you guys can catch me on Sunday for Strict Football Talk. Uh, we're going to be talking to Usma Young on Sunday. And, of course, you get your fantasy football talk, latest in NFL news, latest on the Ezekiel Elliott suspension discussion. We're going to be talking about all that on Sunday. This has been the Bareback Facts. I've been your host, Dallas, Big D Duco, and I will see you all on Sunday. Straight football talk. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, guys. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.